Now back to the Despirito Team Real Estate Show on News Radio 920 and 1047 FM. Also available as a podcast on iHeartRadio. It's uh, Matt Bates of Movement Mortgage. I'm the host today for the, the, the radio show, our, our weekly segment on uh, different things that are going on in and around our state. And today we have uh, John uh, La Rochelle, an attorney with La Rochelle Law. And he is a family court and criminal attorney. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm missing any of the other uh, parts of your job, uh, John. Uh, glad exactly- that you can make it. Oh, thank. I'm glad to be here, Matt. That's exactly right. Uh, and a lot of times when you're doing divorces, there are real estate considerations that are a little beyond what you might first think. And it can really be beneficial to uh, have a realtor uh, on your side in, in, in situations where houses and the appraisal and the valuation of houses is an important consideration. Uh, if I, I give you a story, I recent had, recently had a one where the appraisal on the house came in at 490, but Redfin and Zillow had it at 550 or 573. So my client, uh, rather than accept the 490 and accept that valuation, there's several d- different options. You could get your own appraiser. You could try to talk some sense and logic into the other spouse But if that's not possible and you have a good relationship with a realtor, you could have the realtor come out and then give you his or her opinion about how much that house would sell for. So if that realtor came out to the house and said, listen, Zillow has this at 550, Redfin at 570, all day long, I can get you 560 for the house. If you have that realtor as part of your team, then you can agree to the 490 valuation and you would buy out the other party. You could buy out the other party. This is your valuation. I'll, I'll buy out your equity in it. And then you already know the realtor immediately is going to come in as soon as the divorce is over. Your foot's fully legal. You're doing nothing wrong or unethical by immediately listing it, selling it, and profiting from the appraisal that came in too low rather than spend a lot of money in legal fees fighting back and forth. So, so with the realtor on your team, you have a lot more options that wouldn't be available to someone who doesn't uh, think outside the box and is just looking to butt heads with an appraiser or conduct a hour long cross-examination in court of an appraiser. Rather than spend your money and spend your effort in that regard, better to take advantage and almost like a judo move and use their, maybe, maybe, you know, I'm not saying the appraiser did anything wrong, but maybe the attorney or this person has a relationship where the appraiser would be able to justify this low appraisal. But with a realtor that you know is not just going to be able to appraise it, but actually go forward and have a very good chance of selling it, then you, you have a, a, a lot more value to your, your divorce team. A lot, a lot of times in my experience is that uh, although the, the home tends to be the biggest asset, marital asset, but it's in combination with retirement accounts and uh, uh, bank accounts and, and stocks and, and, and all the different investments and all the other parts of the marital asset components. And a lot of them could be very cut and dry. I mean, you just get a, a, a most recent statement and it's divided by two. And, you know, this is this and this is that. But then when you talk about equity in a house and you're figuring out where that is, you know, sometimes you 
it, it's not always 50, 50, 50, everything, you know, someone might take the equity, but someone might take a majority of the retirement account. It's really hard to, to come up with a really fair way to split marital assets without knowing the true market value of a house. And an appraisal is one, one popular way, the most popular way, but you know, um, when, when, in the past, when I've seen an appraiser say it's a, a value of X and a real estate agent say it's a value of Y, you know, it might change up the process of completing the divorce because instead of buying somebody out, you might want to sell it on the open market because even though the appraiser said it was worth one one bit, you know, they're, they're not somebody that's going to actually buy the house. The true person's that opinion of value that matters is whoever's willing to purchase the house at a certain price. So instead of buying it one party out or the other, they might choose to just sell the house. And at that point, you would you would need a real estate agent. So um, you know, for for divorce attorneys, they're a huge uh, tool in the toolbox. You know, um, to to be able to get to get the the mission accomplished. And uh, yeah, it's a very tough situation. But having the, all those different resources to lean on helps make a tough situation better. You know. You're exactly right. And and there are divorces that are simple and it is essentially adding up accounts and dividing by two. Um, I would say while the majority of divorces are not like that, even ones that have different components where there's enough money, just as you wisely observed, Matt, the best course of action may not be to do a buyout, but it might be if you if you have a realtor on your team and this realtor says, listen, I can sell this house for 560. There's no need to start talking about an unfair buyout where your client is going to lose money by agreeing to a 490 valuation when you're confident because you've consulted with the realtor, because he's part of your team to say, okay, it seems to me like this 490 is way off. If this realtor lists this house in one month for 550 and he believes he can sell it for about that, you've just you've just saved your client tens of thousands of dollars. And just by having that one uh, key person on the divorce team that many per- people don't think of as a key player, uh, that could make a very big difference in the divorce settlement, or as you said, in how you're going to handle it. Let's list it right away. Why are we waiting? Well, we're not going to talk about a buyout, even if we can, because we're not going to talk about a valuation of 490 when we know, because we have the realtor on our team, that the house is almost certainly going to sell for 550 Yeah. Now I got a question. Let's say um, uh, uh, two two people in a relationship they get married. They got married uh, before the the marriage was uh, uh, commenced, and they became husband and wife, or wife and husband, or husbands or wives. Um, and the let's say it's a husband and wife scenario. The husband owns a property. It's in his name. He's owned it for 10 years. While he's owned it, he got engaged and married to his wife. Wife's not on title. She's never bought the house. She was never placed on title. Is that still a marital asset after, if, in the event that they have a divorce? That's a great question. And that's a very common situation where one of the spouses would, they might have been living in a house for five or 10 years. As you said, they might have been living in the house and owned it for five years before they even met their spouse. So in situations like that, that house is a premarital asset. It is not a marital asset. However, from the point of the marriage up until the time of the divorce, 
any appreciation in value of that house is likely to be considered a marital asset. So that appreciation has to be what they would call an active appreciation and not a passive appreciation. A best way of thinking of that is if you have a, a Vanguard pension account that was worth $100,000 the day before you got married, you're married for five years and you did nothing to the account. We'll make it the best hypothetical possible. You didn't put money in. You didn't take money out. You didn't buy and sell stocks. You kept it in the same index fund through Vanguard. And five years later, it's worth 140000 Well, that's, that appreciation is completely passive. Neither spouse did anything. It was just the market conditions that increased it. So in that case, that appreciation, that passive appreciation wouldn't be considered a marital asset. That wouldn't be dividable. However, in a house, oftentimes it's different, especially if it's the primary residence. If it's your primary residence and the other person is contributing to the either appreciation in value or even the preservation in value, if they're paying some of the mortgage payments, or even if mortgage payments start to be paid out of a joint bank account, rather than the owner completely segregating all the payments and completely paying on his own or her own, in that situation, now that's an active appreciation. And the courts, while they have wide discretion to do whatever they think is fair in family court, they almost certainly would say that that is an active appreciation when both spouses are contributing to the expenses, the costs, the upkeep, the, the, the maintenance and the running of it. Conversely, if it were a rental property that was more similar to Vanguard, let's make it the best possible hypothetical. You have a rental property in Florida and you've never stayed there. Your spouse has never stayed there. It's, you have it managed by a property management company. And during the course of the marriage, that property went from 300 to 340. That would be more similar to the Vanguard index fund situation because it seems as though really neither spouse did much and no marital assets were used for the appreciation of value. It was simply the market forces over the past five years. A good example would be the market that we're in right now. Certainly, if you owned a home five years ago, you wouldn't have to do anything to it. As long as it, you didn't make it get worse, it absolutely went up in value in the past five years. So that would be something where that passive appreciation, that might be not subject to marital division. And what that means for the bottom line is the spouse that owned that previously may not have to share any part of that valuation, even the appreciation of value, any aspect of that home. So it really comes down to, uh, is it active appreciation? In which case active means yes, the spouse has a right, that appreciation and value that they somehow contributed to, even if it's in a small way. That maybe it's putting granite in and changing the kitchen over or buying new appliances or, you know, um, uh, repainting the whole thing or, um, you know, buying furniture, uh, not really. Well, yeah, right? yeah. Well, even I wouldn't say maybe not buying furniture, all the things that you're saying, absolutely. Even contributing to the property taxes, maybe even just contributing to the upkeep and maintenance. Maybe, maybe one person is a little bit handy. So they do the painting or, you know, maybe there's a small, uh, so, small projects that have to be done around the house. Maybe they're capable of fixing the garage or, or doing some other thing that makes it so that now they've contributed sweat equity to the appreciation and value of that home rather than actual financial contribution. What about on the flip side, do you, uh, 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 
man and man and woman get married. Uh, man owned a house for ten years before marriage, um, before even meeting this their 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 spouse, and they get married and then they put the the spouse on title of the house. That automatically becomes an auto, a, a marital asset. It doesn't automatically. There's a case in Rhode Island called Stevenson versus Stevenson, where if you're putting your spouse's name on an asset for for Per, for convenience purposes only, or for estate planning purposes, it's not an automatic. It is an indication. So in Rhode Island, you have to manifest an objective intent to change the property from one that one person owned to, to both people. Now, certainly putting your spouse's name on the deed, that would help to show that's if, if someone from the outside looks in that some most people would say, well, that person objectively intended to change that property from his or her own private property now to a marital piece of property. So that would be one of the factors the court would assess. So, so, so for instance, like, okay, I'm going to put my wife on the deed in the event that I pass away, she gets all of it, all the, all the complete ownership of the house. But if we get divorced, she don't get any of it. So you, in one breath, you were okay with giving everything to your Spouse, but the next breath, something else happens. You're not so okay with that. So you can't, you can't do both. You, 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 you can't do both. So to say, you can't have it both ways. But I would say this: a prenuptial agreement can satisfy all, uh, all of those requirements, and it can be written specific, very specifically to talk about this specific event. Perhaps you even contemplate: I'm going to put my uh, spouse's name on the house. And I'm doing it for estate planning and uh, uh, intestacy purposes only. And you could write something in that would help to protect you. However, whenever you're placing someone else's name on a deed to property, you always have to be extra careful because as you, as you said, I think most people would think, well, that's an automatic. Now you've automatically given them 50% of that. So while it's not automatic, it is certainly an indication that you intended to do that. Right. This is a lot of good information. I'm sure a lot of the listeners have a lot of uh, questions and, you know, the, these, these topics tend to, uh, you know, uh, create conversation that can go on and on. And what if this, and what if that, and uh, well, if you have any, what if comments or questions or things for John out there, listeners, be sure to reach out to us and let us know you know, uh, what you got going on and, um, and if John can be ever a help or Emilio or, or myself, um, you know, we're, we're here to help and, and real estate's tied to a big part of everybody's life. And, you know, th- some things happen in life and then it, 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 by default, it, it factors into what they're going to do with their houses and refinances and buyouts and for sale on markets. I mean, it's all, all very interconnected and, uh, you got to have the right team on your side in order to make sure that you walk away from this thing, um, from this experience in the best case possible, you know, no matter how brutal it is or, you know, how difficult it may be, we're here to help make it less because in these situations, it can very, very quickly turn into from bad to worse. (laughs) You know, you don't do it right. Um, Did you have anything else, John, that you wanted to go over on on today or was that just that? I could talk for hours based on all of these things. As you said, I have nothing further today, Matt. But as you said, if anybody wants to speak to me, I'm John LaRochelle of LaRochelle Law. Be happy to answer any questions people have about their divorce process or options they might have with regard to real estate in a divorce. 
Yeah, you've been a great resource for myself personally. So everybody out there that's listening, uh, implore you guys to uh, reach out to John in, in the event that you need any help at all when it comes to this law. Thanks, John, uh, for coming on the show. And stay tuned, everybody. We have Jen Jaber coming on with RI Blogger to go for the state's uh, upcoming events that you can uh, attend. And we'll be right back. Now back to the Despirito Team Real Estate Show on News Radio 920 and 1047 FM. Also available as a podcast on iHeartRadio. So you can see. And we're back for our final segment today with what's going on in the state with Jen Jaber from RI Blogger. Jen, happy to uh, be chatting with you again this week. Uh, what's going on? Well, what do we got going on this week? Well, first and foremost, April 7th to April 23rd is Providence Pizza Week, which sounds really delicious. Uh, yes. Yeah. So Go Providence is taking a whole entire week to celebrate pizza in every delicious form. Um, they rallied chefs from across the state to cook up their best and most creative takes on pizza. They'll obviously be like your typical pizza, savory toppings, creative ones, and even including some dessert style pizzas. There are endless ways to enjoy a pizza, obviously, and you can go to the Go Providence website and they'll give you a list of all the participating restaurants. So definitely take time to eat some pizza in Providence. Oh, I love pizza. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm totally down. So this, the vets on Thursday, if you have a young child, this is for you. Uh, when Fern was younger, I think like I had too much Peppa Pig in my life. So this, you know, brings back some memories. But the vets on Thursday, April 21st, presents Peppa Pig Live, um, Peppa Pig's Adventure at 6 p.m. You can join Peppa on an exciting camping trip in the woods with George and her school friends. And you probably don't know these people, but Pedro Pony and Susie Sheep, um, but it'd be a great time and the, and the kids truly, truly love it. So, and it's just a great opportunity to support the vets and their live shows as well. Um, Sunday, April 24th is the Rhode Island State Police 5K Foot Pursuit at North Beach Clubhouse. Um, it starts at 10 a.m. The Rhode Island State Troopers are, are happy to announce that the race is back and in action. Um, prizes will be awarded to first, second, and third in several categories. There's a $100 cash prize to the top male and female running and a runner and a $200 bonus for record setters. So if you're ready to set a record and win $200, then this is the race for you. There's also kids, um, you know, I think it's all ages race. So uh, check that out again. It's April 24th. Um, additionally, Sunday, April 24th is the Stars on Ice come to Providence at 4 p.m. at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Uh, once every four years, the star-studded cast returns to the ice, including Olympians and world champions. Um, so you want to be up front and center and you'll get to see um, you know, a lot of these famous names that you've been hearing for the past few years right in front of you on the ice. And last but not least, I went to this last uh, summer and I highly recommend it. They're actually doing it for a longer period of time. But until July 4th, you can go to the Roger Williams Park Zoo for the Asian Lantern Spectacular. Um, it celebrates 2000 years of tradition. Um, and there's like, I think like 50 plus larger than life um, illuminated lanterns. There's displays. There's Asian-inspired cuisine. Um, there's interactive lanterns, handcrafted keepsakes. There's just so much. It's it's perfect for all ages. Kids, adults, everybody in your family would love it. It's, it was awesome. I went last year, and again, I'm excited to go back again this year. And Definitely they can worth find it. that information out on your uh, RI Blogger, right? 
Absolutely. RIblogger.com. Sounds good to me. Well, we appreciate the uh, the heads up on these awesome events and uh, uh, looking forward to seeing you out there. Thank you. Have a great week. You too. All right, everybody. This wraps up our show for today. I uh, hope everybody has a good uh, rest of your Sunday and we'll see you again next week.